And we're back. It's long and hard. It's episode number 10. I'm uh, Thomas Harrington, and joining me is... And Josh Blaze. How's it going? <laughs> good, good. You? What's new with you? Uh, not too much. Doing a little bit of work here. Home in two weeks, so figuring out my life, you know. Oh, yeah. Reunion <laughs> tour coming up. Reunion. Might actually be able to do this in person, which uh, is going to be more difficult than uh, <laughs> than how we have the setup going so far. So, technically speaking, yeah. I mean, I don't know. We'll 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 figure it out. It'll we'll it'll be fun. It'll be a dream. We'll contact some camera people out there, and uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's actually one thing I've always like not been super good at is cameras right like just from like knowing technology point of view like it's mm -hmm. i don't know ties back to everything of having a hyper specialized knowledge is valuable right so yeah it's like a it's you can get so deep into that world too and i mean there's obviously school like programs for it so mm -hmm. yeah um now, uh, so what we have today is a little bit of a different format and kind of something we wanted to, I don't know, try out, play with. We sort of introduced it in a more recent episode, and it's more going to be just open discussion about um, events, what's going on in the world, news, but specifically what's relevant to, uh, I suppose, anyone who would in theory be interested in uh, our podcast. So stuff that's relevant to small business, relevant to entrepreneurs, relevant to uh, kind of the business world at large and marketing and all that, all that stuff. And <clears throat> something you need to know about, not just, you know, I don't know, sports or whatever. <laughs> you won't hear too much sport talk for me. So, but the Raptors are in the finals. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I actually might go down to Toronto while we're still here. And uh, oh, go stand on Jurassic Park and get a little bit of hype with uh, Drake and all the people over there. That <laughs> that'd be fun. Jur is that <laughs> what they're calling their like outside watching place, Jurassic Park? Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's funny. I don't even. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't hear that. Yeah, I've watched the last three, four games. I think that's that's the that's my the extent oh. of sports I've watched in 2019. So. That's uh, about three or four more basketball games than I think I've watched ever. So <laughs> <laughs> they could yeah. be exciting when everybody's hyped up about it. But yeah, so this is going to be oh, sure. a little bit more uh, news related, but also more stuff you would see on like Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or stuff like that. We're not really going into the um, Huffington Posts or uh, BuzzFeed or anything like that. BuzzFeed or anything like that. Yeah. 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 So. Do you want to hear the first, first article? You're, uh, I think you're a little more familiar with it. Okay, uh, sounds good. So I was trolling on CBC today, and uh, there's this article that came up, and it's it was top of everything, and it was Calder Bluffs shut down social media platforms, and ex Facebook advisor urges, and they're talking about how social media uh, has kind of morphed and deranged itself into this like where it's a platform for people to kind of not have any privacy anymore and there's a lot of people that are coming out saying that these platforms don't allow for people to have 
conversations. There's like self-censoring within the uh, platform. And also that there's obviously what's happened with Facebook over the last six months to a year with their uh, privacy scandals, their information uh, shipping out the door to third parties and stuff like that. People are kind of coming to a realization that these platforms are not necessarily working in the best interest of the uh, the average person that uses them. So, yeah, this article is talking about how uh, they should probably shut these social media platforms. I'm pretty sure it's mostly Facebook. I, they don't really Facebook say... appears to be the main target. There's some stuff about Google and Twitter at the end, but it sounds like those guys are being more cooperative, whatever that mm-hmm. might mean. But uh, Facebook seems to be the target. And I mean, it really is the main epicenter of the internet when you factor in that. Um, and even for a younger generation who t- tends toward Instagram, well, guess who owns Instagram, right? So Yeah, well, I always laugh when people are like, Facebook isn't cool anymore. I'm on Instagram. I'm like, well, um, you're still on Facebook's platform. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you use WhatsApp, same thing too. So, um, Right, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation. I get it from both sides. Like, I do understand the argument with regard to privacy and personal data ownership. And then I also see how these companies exist and they also wouldn't exist if people using them because essentially they, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Exploit the uh, networking effect. So a network is as powerful as the sum of its parts times like I actually have to look up the equation. Give me a second here. It's actually a very the yeah. network. Can you uh, check your mic connection on your end, Josh? It's kind of crackling quite a bit for, for me. I don't know if it's just my internet here, or the actual stream. But uh, yeah, no, it's definitely a, it's a fine line. It's a double-edged sword where, I mean, you, you can always say it, it's a private company, right? They can do what they want, but... Mm-hmm. Where we're getting to a point where, you know, network some of its parts. Well, if almost everyone on earth is part of this network, does it become so large that it now requires, like, do we treat it like utility more like, and same with the internet as a whole, is that more a utility versus uh, private property versus uh, comparing it more to like, I don't know, water and electricity, <laughs> right? Or, right. Uh, it should be some degree of government regulated. I don't know. There's not really a good answer. And, uh, you know, I think most people know, or if you follow this sort of thing, like Mark Zuckerberg really doesn't want any regulation and he gets kind of squirrely about it, especially in his like testimonies and stuff. Right. Yeah. If if you watch that one, that was last year. It was very interesting to see the divide in his knowledge versus like the people that are actually trying to legislate. Yeah, that uh, actually, I saw uh, some clips of it too, where it was, um, you could tell, you know, whatever member of Congress who was asking the question actually didn't have a very good depth of knowledge of arguably basic, I don't know, technology usage. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. So it's you're running into a situation where you have the people that are regulating this stuff don't even understand it. Uh-huh. And you kind of, you can't really do that, I guess. I I think that the internet in its first conception was a place for kind of freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of the ability to transmit information and share. And in creating a platform, you do control some of that. And it's not necessarily a good thing because of the well i mean humans are fallible unto themselves so having somebody in control of the information that's being transmitted and determining what is good and bad what can be said and what can't be said i'm not all for it i suppose i also see the other i see the flip side of the coin too where i mean you have organizations of people that are i mean using the platforms as a way to uh, do bad things in the world. And Mm -hmm. that's not, I I think even more the, well, that always comes back as an issue here where they talk about quote unquote misinformation, particularly in let's say election times or or whatever. Um, And then, or generally just talks about kind of uh, misreporting or false reports or whatever, just because unfortunately we have such a clickbaity culture that it kind of begets that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think because pe- most people don't like, like every day-to-day consumer, like your data is valuable to marketers and stuff, but is it inherently that valuable? Like not really like get over yourself. <laughs> same, <laughs> same for me. Right. Like, am I really talking about, uh, you know, nuclear secrets every single day? No. But, it, you know, it does feel kind of like violates your personal space, personal privacy too, right? And I think, uh, you know, to tie it back to our world is where advertisers come into it, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if there's a good product out there, advertise it to me. And if I like it, I'll buy it. And, you know, there, there's something to retargeting, right? Like that's very, very valuable. And then even people get kind of in a lather about that, I find, right? Like just getting a simple banner retargeting ad or a Facebook retargeting ad. And they're like, Whoa, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Like it's so, black magic or something. Yeah. Which is- and where, where's the line? And it talks about here where, uh, cause supposedly, you know, having a cookie in your browser, isn't that big of a deal, but supposedly Facebook actually tracks your activity outside of the app and then starts like reading and scanning your emails and stuff. Mm. that's probably a line that shouldn't be crossed. That's that's verging on. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, there's also purchasing of like location data and stuff. That's just like, it gets to a point of you're getting a little bit 1984 ish, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, why do you need my location at all hours of the day? Like Mm -hmm. I'm not that interesting of a person, I suppose, but (laughs) That um, is true. I mean, maybe there there's a fine line and maybe there's an opportunity here for someone to come in and create something similar to a VPN where you can block how much of how much they're allowed to follow you, right? Or kind of a third party thing. I don't I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like I have on my browsers I have a lot of um 
ad blockers and stuff. I don't even get YouTube ads on most of my browsers because do I... Do those work? Yeah, they do. Like, So when you're... Because when I'm looking at this uh, news article, like on the top, I have like a Google banner ad, like mm-hmm. whatever, not the end of the world. Like would yours block even even that as well? Generally, yeah. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Websites don't like you because... What about... Yeah, exactly. What about Facebook? Like, can you block native ads in the newsfeed or no? No, you can. There's plugins that you can actually kill your entire newsfeed, which I have done because I don't use Facebook for scrolling endlessly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. You can actually yeah. completely nuke your newsfeed. But I mean, that kind of begets the purpose mm. of Facebook yeah. that most use, people use it for to yeah. look at what everybody else is doing. <laughs> I mean, looking at this, you know, would would because it says Sri Lanka here uh, shut down Facebook at one point, and would we ever see this in North America? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, excuse me, too many people would lose their minds first of all, and that's probably just a dramatic um, end of things. And, you know, if for the government to step into that, like we're straying a little too much into political territory, but that would be kind of stepping over a boundary as well. Right. But it would be something where, uh, you know, if they, they shut down social media tomorrow as a small business, you're pretty much screwed because as we've talked about here, that's pretty much the only chat or effectively the only channel you're really using, or when you think about it, like everything you use is, kind of social media even though it's different websites or platforms right there's a very interesting development that's coming from the original creator of the internet uh tim Berners-Lee, sir tim Berners-Lee. he's actually knighted um and he's looking to create some sort of secondary alternate internet and where everybody controls their own data and you get to essentially plug into networks what you're willing to share with them and then pull it back out at the end of your use. It's a very interesting concept. I urge everybody listening to go read into a little bit more of that. But um, yeah, I got it. I got his name here. I'll put a name in the notes. I've actually never heard of this guy. I didn't really know like the World Wide Web had a definitive inventor at Oh, one one time here. So, yeah, I'm just gonna fact check myself here. But he um he used to work at I want to say it was MIT or something. Yeah, yeah. He, he's taking like a complete sabbatical from his professor job, and he's going on to create something called Solid. So do a little bit of research on that and uh, hmm, look into that's that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. I would. Uh... Yeah, the, that's interesting. We'll see how that kind of develops. I mean, on that note, and just to kind of contradict here for practical advice, and I, I heard this on another show the other day where uh, people were talking about best uh, online networks for, well, anyone trying to spread any kind of message. It's like, well, should you use the, uh, there's more or, well, lesser known kind of tertiary networks. Uh, mm-hmm. What are they like? I think one's called Rock Rockfin or something like that. There's uh, uh Rockfin, yeah. Rockfin. There's uh, is it Gab is kind of like Twitter, and then there's also um, 
mega it's like my i think it's just called mines or something like that do you know which one i'm talking about yeah I don't, i'm not familiar with that yeah. one the other two i i have a little bit of understanding about but um anyways those are ones where it's like well should you go to those ones that are pure privacy and blah 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 and kind of let's call it a more libertarian view well I would say no, because there's not a lot of people on there. And that's just kind of where people who have nowhere else left to go that have been kicked off everything else go, right? <laughs> so so unfortunately, you know what? If you're uh, if you're trying to put your message out there, you're going to have to sell your soul a little bit to uh, Mark Zuckerberg for, for the time being, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I mean, nothing is ever set in stone. Look at how MySpace was overtaken. And I mean, you never know what's going to be that, going on in the next five years. That's a good point. And I mean, even... Uh, think about it this way because at one point in time in like you know 1999 or 2000 or 2001 and you're like oh yeah my like if we went back in time and we're like yeah you know what myspace it'll be gone in two years don't spend too much time on it people would be like are you insane like it's myspace everyone has myspace right so right if you find yourself saying the same thing about facebook i guess you you truly never know granted when one third of the earth's population is on there maybe we're in a different different game now but <laughs> yeah i mean exopia back in the day that was the other one too yeah hey that's a shout out for our canadian and even like edmonton <laughs> fans <laughs> i mean i do think world... it was a edmonton company at for some reason you may be right i actually don't have did any... you know it still exists they actually popped up on my instagram the oh other day God which was the weirdest thing. Um, and I think it's still a forum. I have no idea, but their Instagram had like 1800 followers or something like that. Yeah, and you're like, killer. Oh shit. How the, how the mighty have fallen. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you and I run bigger Instagram accounts now, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look out next. Opia. you know, I actually, uh, I remember Gary V saying once upon a time that, uh, he wanted down the road to buy because uh, a lot of those web properties still exist. Like I think MySpace. Yeah, let me just look it up. See what see it what does. happens. It actually is like, like it's still a thing. It does. Yeah, like it's still out there. Uh, Nexopia still technically exists. Something that there's a lot of other smaller ones where, you know, once it kind of is just down to the smoldering embers, you go in and you buy that network network site and bring it back. So then all the people who are like in their thirties or whatever, like, Oh shit, <laughs> MySpace, that was the best thing ever. And then they get back on it sort of thing. Well, it's like you, at one point, MySpace was growing at, Oh man, I was watching a video on this the other day for some reason. And it oh, was really? like 300,000 view or 300,000 users per day or something pretty insane. And, uh, essentially the reason that MySpace collapsed was just a comedy of errors within their own organization. It, yeah. uh, like really? they were they were the network and then facebook came along and when you actually look at like the usership myspace was tremendously bigger than facebook and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. facebook went with users so there's a lot of things that they did wrong um we can include a there's a youtube video i'll include in the show notes to go watch if you're interested in the fall of grace for myspace <laughs> that is intriguing i might check that out uh you want to move on here should we go just next to write down the list here uh um, yeah let's do the next one actually i kind of like this one because this comes back to 
or we can at least tie this into a story of ourselves. But uh, mm -hmm. so Amazon, the title of the article is in huge strategy shift. Amazon is set to purge many su small suppliers. So uh, according to this, uh, basically, Amazon currently gets a lot of its smaller convenience items or a lot of its items from small businesses, local businesses, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and now for day to day items, well, they're a lot of their wholesale purchases from large brands like Procter and Gamble, Sony, Legal, uh, and their must have merchandise just to directly compete with Target and Walmart, um, mm -hmm. which is interesting because now I see uh, Walmart making a push to like some more online shopping and stuff that I've, I don't know, I've seen ads kicking around. Yeah. They bought Jet.com two years ago, I want to say, and Jet.com was like the next Amazon. So they were really investing in their online stuff. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you there. Keep going. No, that uh, frankly, that was kind of my understanding here, or that it's it's basically talking about how this is really going to hurt a lot of small businesses who kind of counted on it. Now, uh, I think this is kind of a two factor thing where it's because a lot of these small businesses were a supplier for Amazon, meaning they would sell directly to them at wholesale cost, and then Amazon mm -hmm. would go resell. But then yeah. it's probably also going to hurt a lot of businesses who just sell directly on Amazon, and that's their one channel, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you shouldn't ever have only one channel of sale ever. Um, yeah, what you were saying about is essentially the fulfillment by Amazon, where people aren't super familiar with that. But like, I mean, if you see... Anything that's prime, it's usually fulfilled by Amazon. So you have me as a supplier shipping my goods into an Amazon warehouse, and then they fire them out from the Amazon warehouse to you in two days or less. So I think it was for everybody that's under $10 million in annual revenue on Amazon is going to be kind of shafted by this. Oh, really? Wow. Which is a lot of people. Like, yeah, that's going to be a lot, right? So yeah interesting yeah well i think that i think the bigger takeaway here for like a practical small business point of view is exactly what you said is you really shouldn't be relying on one channel of sales mm -hmm. uh especially not a third party one where it's amazon where they can shut you down tomorrow and um you're done you, you make zero dollars right so uh and we've even read like horror stories in the kind of like let's call it e-commerce forums or this e-commerce uh corner of the internet where yeah guys were doing like 10 grand a month 100 grand a month whatever all via amazon and then they somehow broke some rule and are banned and then they're they're totally screwed right <laughs> well you don't also realize that you don't hold the customer list when you sell on amazon and this is huge you don't get to know who your customers are you don't get an email you don't get a phone number. I mean, sometimes you don't even get like a last name or anything like that. So you don't even know who you're selling to. And you can't build some sort of second touch. Like, I mean, uh -huh. in a funnel, in building a sales funnel, you need that information to be able to continue to market products and build your brand. Uh -huh. Amazon gets all that information. You get none of that information. So, uh -huh. yeah, it's the, well, just to kind of contradict our last points on this on the last article, but it does tie together a little bit with the privacy thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, who, who would you rather 
have your information to follow up like a nice small business where you've found their specific niche product that you needed. And then, you know, what, whatever, maybe they sent some email drips, you unsubscribe anyways, but that, that's actually a very good point where, yeah, you, as a business owner, like you don't own the customer list and Amazon does, mm-hmm. right? Because I get follow-up emails from Amazon on stuff I bought where it was fulfilled by someone else. Right. Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, I've seen a lot of smaller, specifically authors, completely axe anything on Amazon, specifically mm-hmm. for uh, specifically for Kindle. But the it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. for a lot of them. Yeah, so. I've heard that as well. I mean, uh, I think our message here would be, and this is probably the the general knowledge out there is, you always want to own your well, means of production. You always want to own your channels. You want to own your, even your content, right? Mm -hmm. So you should be always driving sales back to your own website. You know, can you use uh, FBA fulfillment by Amazon as one tool, one channel? Yeah, no problem, right? Um, But you really should be focusing on it yourself because what like a website in itself is kind of the last true true free medium of the internet right where you own the domain even if you're selling like a controversial product or whatever no one can really take that domain away from you facebook cannot allow your ads instagram can stop your ads youtube can stop your ads google can stop your ads but there's still other ways around but the the website is still there it still exists yeah, I'm shaking my head in agreement here uh, yeah. for all of you listening. But uh, two things I wanted to add to that is that, first of all, if you sell anything that's like generic and it takes off on Amazon, they're going to copy you and produce a lower cost version of it. And if you're selling anything like, I mean, they have their own range of like computer mice and monitors and all this shit that they're coming out with now like it's not very good quality stuff but they are just trying to compete with people that are putting out like generic products that people don't care necessarily about the brand and that segues into my second point about selling on some sort of other channel it's very difficult to build a brand around a product or a company when you're selling it on these other these external channels so if you're starting a clothing brand (laughs) (laughs) shameless plug yeah don't be selling it on uh on a a third party until you're way beyond brand recognition i mean nike can sell on amazon but you probably cannot be selling on amazon yeah even something like where like if it's more of a you uh let's call it like a trinket or something or like a item Mm -hmm. where they just need the functionality of it. Number like you're buying a flashlight. Do people have brand loyalty for flashlights? No, probably not really. But if you're trying to build that, like people just need the item. Like there's no checkout. There's no personalization. There's no options for you to, I mean, frankly, I guess upsell right too Mm -hmm. as a a business owner. Um, Yeah, I I have like a, a personal notion that I see that there's some steps that they're going in that's not the correct 
way for them to be taking their marketplace. But um, I mean, you in know what way? Sell on there? You, like they're stepping in too much or you just disagree with what how they do I it? Think, or what, what you yeah, well, I mean, you're competing directly with your wholesalers, I guess, right? So you're... Mm-hmm when you start stepping on the toes of people that like Duracell, for example, for batteries, I mean, why would you even sell on Amazon? Mm-hmm. You're not going to get the preferential treatment because Amazon's going to be pushing their product to the top of the uh, sale list whenever somebody mm-hmm. searches yeah. for batteries or whatever. Right. So, so Duracell can make their own, well, I mean, just online shopping channel. Right. But I, I think I see, where you're going with that and you know another good analogy would be uh let's look at netflix right so Mm. now on-demand streaming is such a big thing that a lot of like production companies are making their own uh streaming services right so uh the the biggest one as of recent is disney right because disney owns so many properties not just kid shows and they've now pulled all of those off of netflix and now disney go or whatever the hell it's calling is coming out relatively soon Mm-hmm. which you know you could see would you see a lot of larger brands pulling away from amazon feasibly i don't know it depends how much how much they're in their pocket and like you said kind of start competing with their own uh in-house products yeah you're at the mercy of these platforms the same thing with google like yeah. i mean a lot of media companies over the past five years have been just absolutely obliterated once algorithm shifts happened in Facebook when they started going from first they went from chronological then they went to interest and then they went based to based on your friend group as opposed to your pages and stuff and i mean you can even see it based on pages in Facebook now they hardly get any views compared mm. to a native post that you would yeah. make on your own wall yeah. so yeah i mean you're at the mercy of these companies and um I think, yeah, I think that's actually a really good point. So regardless of whatever channel you're going about um, building your personal brand is LinkedIn, Facebook, Amazon, Google, shopping, what uh, postcards, hmm. maybe not that. That's probably <laughs> not exactly you're at the mercy of it. But when you're using other networks and other people's stuff to put your message out there, yeah, you are at the mercy of it. And in all things, so if you're selling e-commerce, you need to be driving traffic from multiple channels. Uh, any other kind of thing where you're using social media marketing, you really shouldn't become too invested in one, right? right. Uh, you, you are at their mercy. And, you know, a lot of the conventional, not so conventional wisdom out there, whatever, is the, the more you look into uh, Shopify gurus and stuff, pretty much all of them are anti-fulfillment by Amazon, as far as I know, unless they're really far along and then they just don't want to deal with shipping or hitting certain markets or, or whatever. Right. And then even now, now with this new change, they'll probably step away from that for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's other fulfillment services. There's other advertising networks too. Like, I mean, we're, we won't talk about them, but I mean, Google's huge, but there are other advertising networks to get your <laughs> message out there too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Understatement of the, uh, of the, of the day. <laughs> Google's huge. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and yeah unfortunately you know some algorithm changes well even i heard a thing recently talking about uh niche blogs because niche blogs used to be more of a thing and now it's very hard to organically to rank on that right and rank yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. The the world is constantly changing. So you obviously got to adapt or you go and start those platforms yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's option number two, right? So yeah. Go be the next Jeff Bezos and uh, take the Mackenzie Bezos pledge and give away half your wealth that you acquired from divorcing your (laughs) ex-husband. Did you see that today? No, I didn't. So she signed like the giving pledge or something like that. Yeah, there's a she signed the giving pledge to give away half her worth or her net worth when she passes away. Hmm. So interesting. Uh, I mean, that, that's a good thing, right? So I would say so. I mean, she was going to probably do it at the end of the day, whether she stayed married or not. But mm-hmm. I kind of I find it a little bit ironic slash hilarious. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to the next topic, the iBuyer market in real estate. This one is very close to home for both of us. So for those of you not familiar with iBuyers, it's a trend that's coming up in specifically the U S but I'm sure it'll be coming up in Canada too. Um, and how people are going to these large real estate tech companies. And if you want to sell your house, uh, and you're in kind of a rush, these companies will provide you with an offer to purchase your house directly. Then what they'll do is they'll generally fix up your house and flip it to the open market um, for some sort of profit for them. Uh, Zillow is a very big one in the States. Obviously, the biggest uh, real estate platform network in the States. Open door, uh, offer pad. And they stay Redfin. I'm not super familiar with Redfin being in iBuyer, but maybe they're moving into that direction in the States. I think I think they're just mentioning them here specifically as an example of like a tech startup. I, I'm quite gotcha. sure Redfin doesn't do uh, iBuyer. iBuyer. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's um it's an interesting business model. Um you and I have had much discussion about this privately, but I guess we'll talk a little bit about it on here. Yeah. Um the hilarious, most hilarious part of the entire article, it's a Zero Hedge article, but uh, Steve Eisman, who is essentially the guy who shorted the market in 2008 and made a shit ton of money, um, is shorting Zillow because he thinks that the business model is very, very questionable and they're moving away from their core competency to move into something that's a, f- a far more high risk and also... Uh, holding of inventory, especially that's uh, subject to the forces of market. So, mm-hmm. just for uh, the folks at home, so uh, <coughs> the character Steve Carell played in The Big Short uh, is m- most uh, closely based on Steve Eisman, just for the yeah. record. Yeah. So, I mean, he he knows his shit. Um, so, <laughs> um, and I personally think it's a very interesting business model, but I think that it's very market specific in that you would be going into buyer markets. Yes. Buyer markets where it's tougher to sell yes. properties. I had to think there for a second mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's tougher to sell properties for the sellers and you're going to have a little bit more desperation from the sell side. So introducing another channel of purchase is something to think about. 
I, I don't know. Like if I was selling my house personally and I was offered X amount of dollars and I knew that the company would be making a profit on me at the end of the day, I probably wouldn't sell it to them, but that's just me. Um, and I'm sure there's people in dire straits that do need to use this, but I don't know. It's as holding a housing, holding a house's inventory is a lot of money that's tied up in a piece of, well, it's an illiquid, highly illiquid asset asset for sure. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, the flipping business in theory can make sense. I mean, people have made money from it. Um, If anyone's going to get into it, you know, not Joe and Sally down the street, maybe don't go flip a home for the first time. Right. But like mm-hmm. if a big company wants to do it, sure. Maybe they have the deeper pockets, but uh, for me, yeah, it's interesting to hear uh, kind of more the wall street take on it where it, it appears risky to them because yeah, now they're taking on physical inventory of like huge things. There's a lot of disposal cost. Uh, and like you said, it's a liquid, right? So yeah, that, that's interesting that they're shorting Zillow, which is hilarious, but it also makes a lot of sense, right? And, um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes like flipping a home is very challenging, right? Because there's a lot of, okay, now you're carrying new inventory. Now you have a whole bunch of construction costs. It always goes over. You have your disposal costs, aka commissions and closing costs. Mm-hmm. And if the market dips down a little bit, there's a very real chance you won't make any money on your flip, right? Well, I, so, I mean, I could see them getting absolutely fucked, mm-hmm. to be honest. Like, definitely holding a big inventory and a market shift. Like, yeah, I don't know. Now, from exactly, and from from an agent point of view, and you said this, right? So, when you go in and read the fine print on Open Door or whatever, the the total fees and margin and stuff, because I think they charge a fee what on when you sell it to them too or whatever it's like it's like 10 percent or something right so you know in america uh the commit real estate commissions are significantly higher than in canada for the most part uh they're average around six percent and in canada it's more around four percent right um if not less like three to four is my understanding nationwide um real estate commissions are negotiable it depends on the market you're in (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just talk really fast like those guys at the end of like uh like uh medical commercials <laughs> sorry if i explain um you, you may die but yeah yeah <laughs> but take our drug like, like you said it's well for one re- really yeah you you need an almost more motivated seller and there's actually an article uh <clears throat> because i believe there's a company in calgary that is technically an iBuyer company, but you know, it only has a few funders. So it, 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 it's a smaller operation. And then some seller who had sat on the market for a while, hadn't sold, hadn't gotten a good price, um, decided to take their offer. And he was quite open about that. He was selling for less than what in theory is the market value. And the numbers made sense. Like I even thought he could get you know, to it was something like he was listed at 380 and was taking like 330, 340. He probably mm-hmm. could have sold for like 360 based on what I saw in that area. I'm not in a Calgary agent, but speaking off the cuff. Yeah. But it was kind of a scenario where he's like, Yeah, I know I'm taking a hit, but we need to move. And it's been a frustrating year sitting on the market. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just going to take less to be out of it. And this business model, 
it requires you, like you have to win on both sides of the equation of a flip, especially on the buy. That's where you, it makes or breaks you, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you need to get a good deal on the home you're going to flip, right? And then you have to sell for top dollar in theory as well, right? So you have to win both times there. And then you do need to have a motivated seller who's willing to accept that, right? And you and I know very well that, you know, Josh, how often are sellers willing to take a couple dollars less for their home? My God. I've had <laughs> negotiations fall apart over a hundred dollars. So I mean mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so it it it's something where I just don't think it'll catch wind like a lot or catch as much fire or get get as universally accepted as some people might think think it will. The the whole I, I buyer thing. Will it be like is it a good idea? for a larger firm to enter the space? Well, the economics make more sense. Will it be revolutionary ground build breaking business model that will flip the real estate industry on its head? No, it'll kind of just be another option that's out there, right? It's one thing that I kind of get um, frustrated about with tech companies and everything about how we're disrupting this industry. This fucking thing has existed from day one where people would call, you would go around the neighborhood and canvas a neighborhood and say, I will buy your house for X dollars. Let me buy it. Let me get the contract. Let me flip the contract on the market to somebody else and I'll make my 10 grand or whatever. Yeah. Like they're just doing it at a bigger scale at this point. And the thing that exactly. you said about the, the both sides of the transaction is really good. They're going to win on the buy because I mean, they have the data. However, I just see it on the sell side of them holding a thousand or 10,000 homes and a market shift coming and just the exposure is Mm -hmm. actually that's a really good point when you look at it on scale like that and like let's look in uh more local in our market like that would even be like comparing to uh uh, like a new home builder where Mm -hmm. they'll have 10,000 quick possession units like active units listed yep for there's sale. been a fuck ton. I'll just add an addendum to that. There's been a fuck ton of home builders in mm-hmm. Alberta that have closed up shop because yeah. of exactly even, this phenomenon. Even larger ones, right? So yeah, yeah. It, when you have all this inventory and it takes a two to three to four percent dip, and then when you're in the resale market of a flipped property, you're going to get completely hosed, right? So. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, and what I've read on some of the other stuff on Open Door, in theory, they're looking for more a home that just shows poorly because the people are messy as hell or, or whatever, and the pace, place is just fucking gross. So you yeah. buy it super cheap from them, get them out of there, and then just you know do an ozone treatment so it doesn't smell like smoke or whatever, paint it, freshen it up, and mm-hmm. make money there on the margin just because you got such a smoking deal on the buy. Again, it's very hyper-specific situations is the problem. And, you know, you were even uh, touching on it a bit there, but I've said from the first time I read about iBuyer, to me, these are those we buy houses for cash signs. Yeah, <laughs> That's uh, the number four with a, a tech spin, right? You know, yep. drive around Edmonton. Uh, you'll see them on uh, the little shoulders of the road on Meridians, and it'll be a little <laughs> yellow sign. Yeah with like black Sharpie, right? And it's like, we buy houses for cash. And usually those are looking for people who are in kind of dire situations. Uh, we'll do a quick deal, need to sell, uh, willing to accept less money if it means they're buying for cash today. And then some of those companies are even like in, like you just said, in an assignment 
uh, an assignment scenario too, where you're selling the contract, not the home or whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, it, 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 there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I just think those, we buy houses, cash signs is the equivalent of this with, you know, tech, uh, tech startup, Silicon Valley kind of putting their, uh, trendy, you know, glass windows in the office or, you know, glass cubicles, uh, spin on it slides, slides down to the conference room kind of spin on it. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And I just, I mean, I wouldn't be a shareholder personally, like, I'm not giving financial advice here, but I wouldn't be a shareholder just because of the fact that the shareholder is going to be the one that's left holding the bag when shit hits the fan. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It almost seems inevitable, right? Like if one property they break even on or only make like a thousand bucks or whatever, that's fine. But then when it's hundreds and thousands of them, Dude, I was reading an article. They were losing a hundred and nine thousand dollars a house. I do believe that, though, when we looked into it, was uh, something to do with all their marketing costs, too, right? Yeah. But now, and the reason I was thinking about iBuyers the other day is I was kind of thinking to myself, and I was kind of talking to uh, another agent, a newer agent, right? So there's always news about how the real estate industry is being flipped on its head, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Since, you know, the first kind of low fee company came out in like the 2000s or whatever. So your real competition, it's not these new iBuyer platforms. It's not sell by owner companies. It's not new tech giants. It's not new trendy lean startup style, uh, new brokerages. Like your, your competition is really yourself and how much you, you think about, uh, all the, these other things too. Right. And, you know, something like iBuyer where there's a lot of news about it. Well, when you dig deeper into it, it's, um, like it, 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 it truly is not, will it, uh, become more of a business model and kind of continue to stay around and be more of a thing that people know about? Yes. But then as it gets more widespread knowledge, people will know, Oh, okay. Yeah, you can go to that, but I'm going to take a 15% hit on my home value, right? So it's a solution to fill a niche. That's exactly what it is, right? So, and then even, uh, and then where I'm going with this point compared to, you know, for iBuyers to hit a new market, they have to spend hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on marketing and then basically operate at a loss for a few years. And then sometimes they don't even turn it around. And then the same goes for sell by owner companies, right? So we saw, uh, Purple Bricks recently exited Australia, right? After being there for only about two years, didn't get much traction. Uh, they are, they recently entered Canada. Uh, I haven't really looked at any like numbers or earnings reports or whatever, but those companies have to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to stay afloat. And then uh, they, uh, you know, to, to basically break even, or if they do end up making money, um, again, it just costs, so much money it takes a lot of work for them to be there they're not your real competition because they're really only like three percent market share i buyer will probably be like half a percent market share right mm-hmm. uh down the road you know eh, for you as an agent or like your competition is yourself right and just kind of the meta of that and one thing we talk about and one thing we see locally in our market is there is a facebook group of realtors in edmonton who kind of have open discussions sometimes there's useful stuff in there news people discussing uh situations or kind of uh 
you know, if you have a hot pocket listing, whatever, some great stuff, but there's a lot of complaining about uh, one of the largest sell by owner companies in our market who own like 2% market share, right? So mm-hmm. what's everyone else doing? Like, why are you spending so much time uh, thinking about that? And just understanding that business model as well as the iBuyer one is wh- one where it, it costs a lot of money to get going. That's why it does have to be the tech startups, I guess, funding it, right? So Yeah, very true. I will let you introduce the next one, I guess. I think are we going to just do the one more? Yeah, we should probably do uh, one more. Um, okay. I'm going to gloss over this article because I thought it was kind of funny and slightly interesting. Is There's just uh, more Huawei bands, like the, the Chinese uh, smartphone. So I've said this for a while. Josh probably has too. And apparently it was interesting. Their networking devices, so like for building actual computer networks, have been banned in like Canada and the US for like, seven years or something <laughs> like that. And then they still tried to market their smartphones. But anyways, don't buy a Huawei phone. Yeah. I yeah. think that there's definitely some, I mean, it goes back to our first point, but there's definitely some uh, informational transfer. I think that's going back. I mean, don't quote me on that, but I think that there's definitely some questions that you would want to be mm-hmm. asking about that. So, and uh, Google's, decision not to work with them and to kind of make them use an older version of Android is kind of telling as well. So yeah, hey, that, that's quite, quite interesting. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, and it's not like I do this, but reading the terms and conditions of your devices and stuff, no one <laughs> does it, but like you're signing off on some pretty bad things. Like everything, especially let's backpedal to like these Facebook, uh, things that are coming up in privacy and yada, yada, yada. Every single user on Facebook signed off and approved those. They just didn't actually read the thing, right? Yep. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, your your Android smartphone, like, I mean, your Google services and everything, like, you can get subpoena, sub, what is the word I'm looking for? Subpoena. 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 There we go. You get subpoenaed by the cops for your location based on your smartphone uh, or you ever in a situation that that would come up. And I mean, I mean, I'm, I don't need to worry about that, but there are probably people out there that need to worry about that. So, I mean, you give that away when you do use th- these devices. Yes. Where were you on uh, May 25th, uh, 2019? Well, according to my VPN, I was in, <laughs> Amsterdam and uh, then New York <laughs> City within two hours of each other. So yeah, I was in Africa, where the Wi-Fi is really good. <laughs> uh, anyway, there uh, actually there was an interesting story about that. Were we talking about this, or was I talking about this with someone else? Where uh, <clears throat> there was a guy who was actually wrongly convicted of murder, uh, and because. And he was supposedly at a baseball game, but okay. <clears throat> uh, within, uh, and then within the proximity of the stadium, there was a murder at the same time. So his okay. uh, his cell phone showed that he was in that area at that time. And yeah. I guess he matched the description, whatever. And then he, so he was actually uh, arrested and was being tried and then he remembered that they were filming something that day like there were a bunch of cameras everywhere camera crews during the game and he was trying to figure out what it was and then 
someone realized that they were filming an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm oh <laughs> that God. day. And then so they actually used a clip from Curb Your Enthusiasm as evidence because you could see him in the background of the show clearly sitting there just watching the <laughs> baseball game. So God. Curb Your Enthusiasm out there saving lives. Anyways. Well, I, I think it has to do with the location of the cell tower or whatever. Like they can't like obviously pinpoint you to... Well, I mean, they can triangulate. They can triangulate, right? So, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, um, yeah. So, uh, moving on. So, another in other news here, we got uh, Texas reintroduces cursive handwriting uh, into their school program, and we're old enough to remember that being a thing. Like, I think it was like grade three or so, where it's like you got to do handwriting, got to do cursive handwriting. Yeah. It was always kind of a secondary thing, and then. I guess it's not really a thing in school anymore. I have no idea. I just assumed, but uh, now uh, they're reintroducing it. And the evidence they give in this article is because <clears throat> supposedly, what the hell is it linked to here? It's linked to a bunch of stuff with uh, helping you learn better is when you write cursively specifically. Um, As opposed to like just printing. Well, uh, Hang on, let me let me read it here. So I I think that's where there's kind of a misstep or where they're kind of uh, misusing the information here. Where uh, apparently cursive writing it does uh, yeah it just says there's a correlation between handwriting and memory. And I believe this uh, study is showing that that just means writing something down, which is actually true. And which is advice I would give people is that it is good to write down things, right? Like, even if you scribble, like, you're like, oh, shit, I need to call back Josh later. If you write call back Josh on the back of a napkin and then forget it at the restaurant, you are more likely to remember it because you've written it down, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't believe uh, this is specific to handwriting. And either way, like, to me, this felt like kind of a weird misstep, right? So we're kind of like tech focused here. The AI overlords are coming. And then we're going to uh, <laughs> encourage kids rather than improve their typing, improve their I don't know, usage of X, Y, and Z is make them write cursively. Like I could see maybe the point of, uh, so they don't totally lose it. Cause for me, like I'm only, I only ever write like jotting down notes and I had terrible handwriting growing up and now it's gotten worse just cause I oh, always use a computer God, and man. you'd probably attest the same, but yeah, I can't it, even read it, it anymore. It, it's kind of that thing where it appears to be traditionalism in education versus, uh, practical new school ways of thinking i don't know i just saw this come up in my newsfeed. it was a older person who <laughs> shared it right and then it, it kind of made me think that there's uh to me it it the one thing i thought of was uh when elon musk was on uh i believe it was on joe rogan where he was talking about um the way we interact with technology is actually slowing down uh on most day-to-day -day usage in turn and what he meant by that was because mobile usage is so high now, most mm -hmm. of the times we're using two thumbs to interact with uh, our technology versus 10 fingers, right? Yeah. Which is in theory about, I mean, some people can text really fast, but it's one fifth of the inputs, right? So we're actually slowing it down. And to me, this, I don't know, I just kind of thought of that quote when I read this headline. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I do like my handwriting, but at the same time, I haven't wrote in with a pen in the past two or three months. So, <laughs> like, really? you actually, yeah, you actually like do lose it. 
Yeah. Like I've been doing my like to do's and stuff like all on the computer. And I mean, um, haven't set pen to paper in a while. Hey, that's funny. Yeah. It's like, it's like more organized, but it's like also when I go mm-hmm. to right now, it's just terrible. So, <laughs> yeah. Now to that point, I will contradict myself here with something very useful for everyone, whether you're starting a business or not, is actually writing things down is very good for memory and from like a psychology point of view um it makes things real right like you're making your thought into something that exists which is words on a page so Mm. that's kind of why they say writing down goals is good for you writing down your plan is good for you writing down your to-do lists is good for you um i don't know nothing but uh nothing but the best uh practical advice for for your life and business here at long and hard (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think that there's definitely something to be said about it um maybe that's why my attention span is so much worse than it used to be but uh that also probably correlates with social media usage and uh that sort of thing too so <laughs> yeah <clears throat> yeah so i don't know that uh it seemed like a weird thing to be doing in the news when in theory schools are going more like iPads in the classrooms and stuff. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. I guess we'll see. Maybe we'll uh, learn to handwrite so uh, robots can't read it and recognize it. So we as humans in the uh, revolution can communicate (laughs) with handwritten notes. (laughs) I was going to say my curse of writing, like no two characters ever look the same. So (laughs) you would never be able to throw a, a recognition algorithm on that one for sure. So, <laughs> oh, maybe there's something to that. Was <laughs> it? I'll add to the point that you were talking about with the iPads and stuff. Like, there's actually like a race for the classroom between like these big companies, Google, um, Apple. I think specifically those two, but they're trying to get their products into these elementary schools so that there's a oh, brand yeah. loyalty as <laughs> you get uh, older. That's funny. Yeah. To use your Chromebook or use your iPad or whatever it is. I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Or even to get into school and establish yourself as like the school platform for uh, whatever it is, like the, the, the tech, right? So, yeah. Because, you know, it, Chromebooks a lot. Yeah. Because if a school needs 300 computers or whatever, or a school district needs 20,000 or whatever, like that's big business too, right? True enough. Yeah. yeah. I just remember when uh, the smart boards came out, which when we were in high school and like not every room had them. Yeah. I mean, and they, they were, were like, in the hindsight, those were like the clunkiest freaking technologies ever. Those were hilarious. Yeah. They were, I was going to say they were not very good, but uh, yeah. yeah. I'm curious to see what they got now, really. So, yeah. It's something that like I haven't stepped foot in a classroom since. No, no. I mean, university, but. Yeah, to see what like the elementary is like now would be interesting. Just to think of the amount of paper that we used though back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> going like more paperless. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's uh, oh, yeah, and now even like because I I'm still someone who writes things down, but when I see hu- like huge huge stacks of paper, I just like kind of cringe honestly. Like, yeah, man. Oh, so disorganized. Well, I mean, like as a paperless brokerage back in the Mm -hmm. day, and I mean, that's pretty much how I run the shop now too, is that it's like, why would you have 
file folders and cabinets of that's uh the company i'm at now we're as a whole they're kind of at a transition like i've always done it pretty much entirely paperless as a whole uh they are a little uh like yeah, they're trying uh, to move in that direction trying to move but uh i don't know it's not going perfectly for sure <laughs> there's a lot of file folders around um or even uh you know because you and i we would use like we use google drive so heavily and when we had our brokerage we did the same uh mm. granted i'm assuming my uh company has years and years and files to back up but he does have like stacks of like servers and <laughs> stuff too in the back yeah. for for storing digitally so anyways yeah. yeah it's i mean it's it's a good thing to have but uh there's definitely something to write about writing physically i might actually start doing that a little bit more because uh you bring up a good point of uh specifically for your goals and your to-do list and stuff like actually just physically crossing it off does feel good when you're actually doing stuff as opposed to just deleting it in your file on your computer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's actually the, and that's kind of something for a different day, but completing a task uh, does in fact, uh, like it releases chemicals in your brain. You feel like you did something um, and there's ways to leverage that. And I, I kind of have some plans for that on a different or upcoming episode here, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in time. Cool. Sounds good. I don't think I have anything else for the articles we wanted to talk about. No, that's about it uh, for what we had here today. Uh, that was kind of our, our topic for you. We wanted to change it up a little bit uh, rather than just lecture uh, and kind of explore some new new stuff and you know see, see where these things uh, go as well, right? Yeah, give our opinions on uh, what's happening in the, uh, the old world. All right, well... Uh, that's about it for us. Uh, we didn't have any good marketing <laughs> for our next segment <laughs> we wrote down here, did we? No, I, I didn't. I didn't find any. No good marketing in the world. Uh, the week uh, of March or sorry, May twenty seventh. <laughs> yeah, to check back next week to see if there's good good ads out there or not. You know so. what? That's actually a lie. There was um. There's a thing that's coming out for the. There's a thing in Montreal called P one. Give me a second to look this up in Montreal. It's like a, uh, they're doing like a pyramid in the middle of the city and they do it in different cities all over the world. This year it's in Montreal. Next year it's like in... Egyptian pyramid. Oh, like a, like a pyramid where they do. Yeah. Here, I'll send you the link. Um, but it's a uh, PY one. Yeah. It's like this, um, they do like multimedia shows and all this stuff. It was a it was a YouTube ad the other day that I came across, and it was just very well done. So I'll have to add that to the uh, to the show notes for this. But so oh, I'm looking at this now. So basically, it's like a light show. Is that right? Yeah, like a light show, and they also do like electronic music uh, shows from local artists uh, throughout the entire summer. So it's the whole summer. And then they're moving oh, really? to, I want to say like Madrid or something next year. They do oh, it in a no. different city every year. Yeah, it's super weird. But and it's like step into the future. Okay, this is intriguing, actually. Yeah, might uh, might. Is there a reason of it, or is it just to be like a cool, trendy? Just a thing? cool, trendy trip. Take some acid without taking acid. It looks like. <laughs> so, 
this is kind of intriguing actually yeah i'm going to look a little bit more into it but the the advertisement on youtube was really good it actually caught my eye it's the first advertisement i've watched all the way through and it was like a minute long so good for them it's not like uh you know pretty much all my youtube ads these days are like if you have five minutes, I'll tell you all I sold coffee mugs and made $4 billion on Amazon or whatever, right? And all those e-commerce uh, training ones and stuff. And like, you know, it was they cool. All start off. They all start well, off with like, don't skip this video. <laughs> and then the video is like 13 minutes long. And you're like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> those are funny, actually, man. Like there, there's a lot of, uh, I mean... That's a thing too. And I would say, you know, I, I remember when we were kids, uh, we were a little too young to actually see these ads on TV, but I, there was a really great comic I used to read all the time and they would make fun of, uh, that like it was a family, right. And the dad, they would kind of make fun of him because the dad would always reach back in the day. There were infomercials yeah. talking about how to get rich. <laughs> so you would send in money. They would send you your book on how to get rich. And the book would basically be like, write a book about how to get rich, sell it for a hundred dollars, sell it to a thousand people, <laughs> repeat. And now we're just seeing that on, now it's just YouTube, right? And it's a e e-course or whatever. A lot of them. I'm sure there's good stuff out there, but that's a pretty watered down industry in itself too. Yeah. So. Anyway, props to PY1 in Montreal for gracing me with your advertising. <laughs> there we go. Uh, that's good. And now for the shout out, uh, free tickets. Uh, we will <laughs> email you our ad our business address in Edmonton. There you go. There we go. I talked about you. Give me tickets. Sounds good. <laughs> influencer marketing <laughs> logic hey i have uh 100 followers can you, you let me stay at your hotel for free please <laughs> 181 on instagram uh it's got to be worth something so free tickets yeah i don't mean to brag but <laughs> uh, that's good all right well this is uh i think we should call call it an episode here hey yeah let's sign off Follow right, us right. on the Facebook, the Instagram, the uh, you can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. I mean, I always do that. <laughs> uh, Google Play. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, every uh, every Tuesday live stream on YouTube and every Wednesday morning, we drop the actual audio uh release of the episode for your listening uh, pleasure there grace your earlobes with our voices <laughs> all righty till next week keep it long and hard Peace. always hard <laughs>